Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Connectivity. I'm Scott Thompson. We've got a great show for you this week. Uh, kicking things off, we have Neil Ronahan and Patrick Barnett, and they are joined by the uh, winner of our Kid Icarus tournament, uh, Team Icarus Gap. And uh, they're going to talk about the tournament, some of the uh, ridiculousness that went on, and uh, just a little bit about multiplayer gaming as well. Uh, after that, Alex and Guillaume talk about the Kirby series and uh, some of its redeeming qualities and why Alex should give the, uh, the series another shot. After that, we have uh, Nick, who's on to talk about Koji Kondo and go over a bit of his music and not uh, just his history with Nintendo. And then after the outro, we have a bonus segment uh, about Mass Effect 3, and that features myself, Nate, and our friend Sage. Enjoy. So we had this Kid Icarus Uprising tournament on Nintendo World Report, and we had three uh, teams of three for Light vs. Dark, and we had the winning team, and they are here right now, is Team Icarus Gaff from, obviously, as you can tell by their name, Neogaff. Um, let's go around, and each of you guys can introduce yourself. I guess you can say your real name and your Neogaff net handle. All right, I'll go first. All right, uh, I'm Nub in a Tub, and my real name is Cody. Um, hey, I am Gospel, and my real name is Casey. Hey, I'm Scrappy Devil, and my real name is Desmond. All right, and we also have Patrick, uh, MWR's news editor, on the line, too. We were, Patrick and I were on the staff team that got our asses kicked and watched <laughs> first, the first, first round, and we played, were done. <laughs> played very well, and we realized that, hey, our game is off. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I guess what we're going to do here is, uh, outside of having you guys do a victory lap, uh, I thought it'd be cool if you know talked about your strategies and what you did to win the tournament, as it seemed like there was some tough competition out there. Yeah, for sure. You know, um, like I use a Magnus. Like our our whole team is centered around um, pretty much Scrafty. He'll go out and he'll um, he'll get their attention, and he'll be the main person that is like fighting like all three of them at the same time. And then I'm kind of like the wild card. I'll just swing in and try to either finish someone off or hurt somebody so that Gospel or Scrafty can kill him. And then Scrap and then Gospel just kind of sits back. He's the support player, you know. He just puts in some shots here and there, and he has a really good power called Black Hole, which is really helpful. Because then um, if he can trap, like, at least two people, then that's an easy double kill for me or Scrafty. Oh, you can it. I can vouch that Black Hole is very useful in many different situations. Yeah, that's probably the best power for our team, honestly. Yeah, I know when uh, when I played Light like, vs. Dark, I because I, I actually never got Black Hole throughout my playing, which just seems kind of weird how the how the powers are doled out. But I did. Yeah. Uh, I, I would usually use I think like the, there's the, uh, the the fiery explosion and then the laser, and it seemed like the laser if you could oh, yeah, kind of yeah. land it and get people on that line. That would be great. Right. And that, that explosion of everyone's clustered together, it seems like a good crowd-clearing move. No, the, yeah, ra- I, oh, the explosion, um, sorry. Yeah, I uh, generally have um, a more rushdown oriented set. I use Ares Armor, uh, Lee Response, and Tirelessness. So, um, yeah, I can just rush in, absorbing all the shots, and uh, all I need to do is get a dash attack or a melee combo, and that's it for them. So. <laughs> I know, actually, when, um, when, when Nintendo ran the tournament at PAX East, they had uh, Libra Sponge, Ares Armor, and I think Pisces Heal were all banned, as was the Magnus Club, actually. Oh, wow. Unsurprising. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, the Magnus Club is uh, it's very overpowered, honestly. Yeah, he, yeah. he's in this guy's hands. He goes 10-0 and 0 in one game. It's pretty <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but see, with my Magnus Club, though, um, if the teams knew this, they would be pretty upset about how it ended. But my Magnus Club has negative two shot defense, so I'm very easy to kill. I mean, we could probably go do some test games, and I would die in about two charge shots. Provided you don't have that transparency on, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, once my transparency runs out, it's just pretty much strictly I have to try to stick with, um, stick behind Scrafty, or try to take the long way around and try to flank the team, or, or just die so I can get my uh, powers respawn. Yeah, and in that sense, my strategy is a little bit counterintuitive because it relies on me dying to recharge my powers. I only have yeah. one use of each, so I gotta. Uh, use them when I run out, try to survive as long as I can. We'll kind of just uh, using poke tactics until they will know my health and I just die, get my new powers, and go all gung ho again. So <laughs> I think I was able to kind of balance the team. You know, as they said, once they die, you know, usually their powers are one uh, one use per life. I had a staff that I built that only had uh, what was it? Speed plus four and overall defense plus three, so I think it helped me stay alive a little longer than I should have, and I had the black hole, you know, to help keep them at bay. Yeah, with the black hole, you can like easily just keep the other team away while you can live longer. And I don't think you, yeah, you you didn't die that much, honestly. I, I remember you going a lot of games where you just didn't die at all, so it's pretty helpful too because when you die, the angel comes out, so. Yeah, contrary to, and it's contrary to my playstyle. I think I was the angel about like at least five times in that entire tournament. <laughs> yeah, but honestly, we we didn't even uh, turn into the angel that much because I mean, I'm not trying to brag or anything, but I mean, we just didn't die that much and we finished the games pretty fast. Was no, was there any particular team that you felt was more threatening than the others, or were all matches pretty easy for you? What's weird is in round two, we played yeah, against, I, I forget what team it was, but it they was, actually uh, won a game against us. Yeah, that was uh, but, Kyle Arkenden, president. Yeah, like they won a game against us, but the hardest team we played was in round four. It was the finals. Yeah, I mean, that, that is fitting because it was uh, yeah. the team that also won three games to get there. Yeah. And I mean the finals were fun too. You know, they were, it was challenging. It was a, uh, it was pretty nerve wracking because we had in, in the in the first game, it came down to the wire because Scrafty was the angel and then um, I forget who else it was that was the angel, but they both had no health at all. <laughs> yeah. And somehow I've, Scrafty pulled out the win. So I've had some very gratifying games that I've played where it has come down to both sides with like each angel with a hit to go, and those those get super intense. Yeah. It's always good when you have that one hit left, and then you just right. pull out the uh, the daybreak. <laughs> yeah, there was actually, I, I distinctly remember one game that Patrick and I were playing back around when the game first came out, where I was just about dead, and I was I was the angel, and the other team, I think, their angel still had like half health, but I got the last part of the daybreak. It was the first time I ever used it, and wiped out everybody on the team with one shot. Wow, that's awesome. The match. The daybreak has always felt really gratifying to me. It feels like when you're, it feels like you're acting out the climax of some like mecha anime, and you're doing yeah. the climactic final blow. It just, it always feels with like that brief pause until when you pull the trigger when it actually fires. Just like it gives the opponent just the briefest second to say, "Oh crap, I'm screwed" before they die. Yeah, I mean it's the kind of thing that it seems kind of smartly implemented because it is pretty hard to get. I mean, 
when when I that was the first time I used it, and that was probably like the, the 15th or 20th multiplayer game I played. Um, yeah. And that that was just, actually when you did that. That was the first time I had actually ever seen the yeah, Daybreak be used. I, I had been the victim of Daybreak before then, but I had never actually gotten it. And it's just so cool when you finally get it because it's a rare occurrence, but it's still like it happens. It's just it's a like, rarity. It's like I haven't even, even got it once yet. I don't even know what it feels like to use it, so I'm kind of jealous. You'll, you'll know when, when you like when you power. do it for the very first time. It's, it's yeah, fine. It's like it's like getting the dragoon and smash bros. As soon yeah. as you get, you just feel that sudden rush of power, like you can you can get an easy kill right there. So. Yep. Yeah. I mean, Sakurai's into those collect three for a huge power because dragoon yeah. itself came from Kirby Air Ride. Yeah, yeah that's true. And uh, one thing I noticed during this tournament too is um. With certain teams also, um, when their angel came out, they wouldn't really protect their angel. They didn't, I mean, like, they may have been in the same room communicating or whatever, but um, they didn't really have any teamwork because there was, there, there was this one game we played, I think in the first round, and all the other team would do is they would just rush down our angel, and it wouldn't even matter if their angel was out. So they would just leave theirs wide open to yep. get killed. Yeah, I, I think it was our second match, but the, those guys were really well coordinated. They were like worker bees. As soon as their angel came out, one of them was always buzzing around and protecting him, but they were always yeah. seeking, seeking the angel, which is right as me, out. So I, yeah. I remember they came down to the wire in the, the last game of the second round when uh, one of them had raptor claws with five melee and freezing, and I was frozen. Uh, he was doing melee combo on me. I was just begging, begging and begging for the angel to die before I died. <laughs> turns, out, turns out they did, so... It's yeah. all's well and ends well, but it was it was really close and I was kind of having a mini heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that is one thing that it, it's I mean it's a tough thing to do in this game because once the angel comes out, you know you want to protect them, but you also want to you know try to whittle the other yeah. team down. But generally, unless their angel's out, probably the best strategy is just to kind of sit back and wait for them to go after your angel and then knock them out that way. Yeah, I think in the that. last in, in the last two rounds, I turned into the angel. Um, twice I think and in both times I just hid and they couldn't find me the yeah. entire time and I just let Scrafty and Gospel just handle it and you know they pulled it out so that, that, that's, that's definitely that. where uh, knowing the stages comes in handy yes. because certain yeah. stages you can hide and other stages it's almost impossible yeah I, I forget yeah. I forget exactly what stage it is it's like the one where there's like that central area that you can kind of fall into the middle and then there's pathways around it oh uh, yeah. is it, is I it would, map? Yeah, yeah, I think so. But I would just basically dart around the hallways, and if someone would find me, I'd just dart to the other hallway, and then they'd lose me. And then usually around that time, because everyone was around that central area, so as I, as I lost them, then there would usually be someone from my team that would then attack that person who was chasing me. I'm not sure if this is the stage you're talking about, but I remember the one that has kind of three tiers. When I became yeah, an angel, I, I would it. go up yeah. to the third tier, and I would just kind of hide Hang up out. there. And then if someone yep. was in the middle, I could just launch charge shots down at them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I remember um, in the second round, the, the very last game we did, I became the angel the, uh, near the end. It was the, the Desert Temple stage, and uh, I got this really, really bad pair of eye track orbiters, so I couldn't really do much. And uh, one of them finally started doing a combo on me, so I managed to escape up to the balcony area. I just started taking pot shots at them from the top hole <laughs> while they were kind of fighting out the bottom. It felt, it felt really good. Yeah, I remember that when that happened. That's the one... Thing I really dislike sometimes the weapon you get as the angel. <laughs> it's a nice little wild yeah, card oh idea, but sometimes yes. you can get something super overpowered, and other times you're just like, really? <laughs> what yeah, am I yeah. supposed to do with this? It's I know in our match in the tournament, I got a sword, and it didn't seem like it had any ranged ability at all. I'm not quite sure what it was, but. 
Like in our only there. loss, I became the angel, and it gave me the huge draw club. And that, um, yeah. I, I despise that club. It looks cool, but it sucks. I know. It, it has no power at all, and you walk so slow, so yeah. you have no you have like no mobility at all. So I, I was just a, a sitting duck. So with a lot of those things that make you a lot very slow, I, I always need a speed booster on it for it to be any yeah. kind of use. I had to forge a staff with you know a lot of speed on it just so I can get any mileage on you yeah. know snaps. Thankfully, it helped out, but you know if yeah. I were any other type of player, I probably wouldn't have helped at all. Yeah. Yeah, and what's crazy about our team, too, is, like, we didn't even use any means of communication. Like, we just, like, like we just each had our own roles that we knew we had to do, and we just did them pretty well. Yeah, I know some, some people were literally in the same room, and other people were communicating, like, through some sort of, like, uh, voice chat. Yeah. I know when uh, when Patrick, James, and I were playing, we actually were just we were in a we were in a Skype text chat, and yeah, we, didn't, yeah. we didn't communicate during the match at all. It was more before and after, being like, ah, crap, we lost. That's all we did in our last two rounds. All we did is we went on the uh, the Kid Icarus official thread, and we were just like, yeah, that was awesome, or that yeah. was close, or it, it, we didn't have any strategy or anything like that. Yeah. Or and the and the occasional oh dear sweet god don't do that again that was horrible. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I enjoyed uh, seeing you guys posting that about during the tournament because I'd be like oh I guess they're playing a match now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a good indication I guess. Um, but I guess uh, as as far as Kid Icarus Uprising the, the full game, did you guys all play through the single player mode? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, Have you really gone back to the single player mode since you started playing yes. the multiplayer? <laughs> Yes, I. The only way to get any good weapons, you know. Yeah, I mean, you gotta get the, uh, you know, go to and get all the different zodiac weapons and such like right. that. I've been, I've been going back and completing chapters on nine, but there, there are just a few that have just been kicking me over and over and over again. Just cha- chapter seventeen, just that, that is going to be the end is, of me. Is that the one that has like the auto-scrolling platform? Yeah, it's like it's like oh, a. He did that one. Yeah, it's. It's frustrating because I'll be using my Samurai Blade, which is only really good if uh, I can get within melee range of them. So I'll just be like dashing around and I'll get sucker punched like the crap out of me from behind by some random enemy that just spawned there and lose half my health. I think that's the worst level in the entire game. Or at least that section is. Yeah, at least at least it's not the worst boss. That would The worst boss is, without a doubt, the boss of Chapter 23. Oh, yeah, the heart. Yep. Yeah, Hades heart. My wow. I still yeah, don't know how to handle may, that. May, may that may that thing live forever and end for me. I think I've got some gray hairs from playing the thing on nine. <laughs> yeah, so I've, I've only I think I've only completed like two or three chapters on nine, but I've been kind of working my way through, trying to at least get through all the all the doors and the, I guess gold on every right. chapter. But I haven't really played the single player in a while. When I've played the game, yeah. I played multi. Dude, there's. There's still one one chapter, chapter five, that still has the, the green laurels. It's, it's bugging me so much because I've, I've checked every level. I think I've, I think I've times. gotten gold on that because I, I, I worked on getting gold on probably, like, the first nine or so. And I'm pretty sure I do except for, well, wait, is that Pandora's? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what? I think there's, there's a level eight door somewhere yeah, that's I'm, pretty I'm, well yeah, hidden. It's, yeah, yeah it's very, like, on one of the lower levels. You mean, like, when do you do those jumping platforms or something You need like to, like, that? fall down, but my thing yeah, is I fell down, and I was at, like, seven, so I couldn't get into it. 
Oh, wow. It's a good room. It's very good. Yeah, I, yeah, I heard that there's a there's a pretty good NES. Yeah, I went through that one, though, and I still can't find the last door. I have no idea where it is or why it hates me so much. But Yeah. Uh, I couldn't, I couldn't, I've, I've seen that door. I couldn't tell you how to get to it. So. <laughs> I haven't yeah, found it either, so it's all good. So do you think you guys are going to continue to play the multiplayer after this tournament? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Is I've it, been is playing it today already, so <laughs> I've been playing FFAs online. And uh, I do know this is actually there. There was a thread that started in the, in the Nintendo World Report forums by uh, Pandaradox, who was uh, a, a pretty big talker who lost in the yeah. the, the quarterfinals. But um, he actually talked about starting up some sort of Kid Icarus Uprising League, which uh, I know um, the tournament was a, was a lot of work on my end, so I don't know how involved Nintendo World Report will be in. But I'm interested to see yeah. if it goes anywhere. Um, I think that'd be pretty cool. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty cool. Because this is this is a really good game with a ton of depth. Yeah, it is for sure. Because like, there's not one single powerful weapon. It just depends on how that person uses it. Yeah. And what powers uh, they use. I mean, uh, I've definitely, I definitely there are definitely weapons that are clearly better than others, but it doesn't. It seems like it's kind of tiered. It's not like there's this one weapon yeah. that is the best weapon in the entire game. There are several weapons uh, that are very good. I'd, yeah. I'd like to uh, raise an objection to that. Uh, cannons, on the subject of cannons. Um, oh, yeah. I, I, for the love of me, I, can, I cannot get cannons to work. I have I've, I've, I've at least one, one good weapon for every class so far, except for cannons. I just cannot get cannons to work. They're just so slow and so clunky. It just. I, I'd rather I, use a uh, palms or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, I actually had a one one of the first weapons. I actually beat the majority of the single player with it the first time. I had a Kragalanch cannon that I'm so mad that I uh, I, I kind of uh, I, I fused it without really before I kind of understood more of how the multiplayer worked. And that one had a really good speed modifier, and it was it was a great cannon. And then I just figured I'd get another Kragalanch cannon or something else like that. And I, I haven't been able to find that mythical great Kragalanch cannon. <laughs> and when I had that, that was my go-to weapon. I'll have to try that out sometime. It sounds pretty good. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, you can get some decent power behind them, and as long as you have kind of, you know, you, you don't get hit up close, because I'm pretty sure that the melee on the, the cannons is pretty crappy. Yeah, I think it is, too. And, hey, and going back to the tournament, too, you know, th- this whole thing's just been a blast, honestly. I'm I'm glad to hear that. That, that was the goal from the start. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I love the format that you guys did it, how you gave us um, our own time to do it. Like, it yeah. wasn't, like, a set amount of time. Like, we had pretty good um, freedom on when we could do it and whatnot. Yeah, and I guess for, for anybody listening who, who's not really aware of how that worked, it was basically we had kind of, like, a couple days for each round so that way the two teams could communicate and figure out when. And as it got later, it got a little looser when we only had, like, four teams in it. But, right. I mean, when you get to that point, everyone's yeah. already kind of familiar with the format. But I ended up going with that just because it didn't really seem like, oh, this weekend we're going to play everything. I didn't want yeah. to drag it out too long, but at the same time, like, you can't expect everybody to be free on a Saturday night or, you know, depending on the time difference, it could be somewhere else. Because you guys, you guys yeah, like people from France in the first round. Yeah, that was that was, uh, that was pretty bad at first, but we finally got it to work out. Yeah. I think on the last day, too, on the last day of the uh, round one, right? Yeah. 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 Just going back to the tournament strategy, that was that was the t- the team that that the trade off team. They they all were rocking. Oh yeah, and yeah. They, they all used trade off. So yeah, trade trade off was also banned in the Nintendo tournament at PAX East. Yeah, well, like good. I can, 
I can see how it could be overpowered, but um, it's pr- a pretty easy workaround if you just like kind of stay back and don't go anywhere near them for for about twenty seconds, and they're left with yeah. one HP and no powers. So yeah. No, actually, I think uh, didn't they um, put in a little bit of a bumblebee into their power set? Yeah, I think one guy did. I'm not. I can't remember that well. Because I remember shooting at one guy and seeing him, you know, teleport halfway across the map. Try to chase him down, he disappears again. I'm knowing he's not using warp or anything like that. Yeah, he, he probably did then. Uh, I hate that Bumblebee power. It's so annoying. Oh, yes. I do too. It's so annoying. And I, I got to do a shout out real fast to the, to the returners too because like we were so scared to play them because they beat the like mythical Team Triforce, this elite team. Yeah, and so I know I, I've played with both Pandaradox and Nacho Crunk when we've done our game nights at MWR, and they were probably two of the best players that I've seen before this. I, they, they were my favorites to win the whole thing. Yeah, that, that seems to be, like, the general consensus, like, looking through the, the comments on there and stuff. People were saying, like, they were rooting for them and whatever. But, like, I remember seeing them, and they had this elite team, and you needed Skype to be on it. And I was like, well, these guys seem pretty pretty serious, so... <laughs> And pretty hey, sure we're going to face them in the semifinals. And then the returners beat them. And then I was like, wow, so now we got to play the returners. So it, it was kind of, you know, with the way the tournament works out, you don't know who you're going to play against. Like, you don't know anything about them. So Yeah. I have to give a shout-out to my favorite commenter, though, uh, uh, Drezonix, who, wherever you are, just good job. You give me a very good, very good read with your comments there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That YouTube video he posted about his like legit weapons or whatever. Yep. And the, and the, and the yeah, Barbie, Barbie adventure was that's my favorite. <laughs> oh yeah, that was awesome. But um, yeah, because that's a, the, the misconception that I feel is that like all the 300 plus weapons are are where it's at. No, it's in reality you kind of want to get that mix of like mid 200s. Yeah, just yeah. for reference, just for reference, everyone who's listening, every single person in our team had a weapon under 300. <laughs> yeah. Mine was at 276, I think. Mine was 298. And mine was 267, I think. Yeah, yeah. so you don't need to have 300 plus to, to no, be a baller. Don't. No, you don't. <laughs> All you need is a good weapon with either good stars or a couple good stats here and there. And some strong hands. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, well, I, I guess we'll uh, we'll start to wrap this up. Do you guys have any uh, parting words that you want to say outside of what you just said? Yeah, I'd, I'd like to uh, give a shout-out to uh, a Korean DJ and every member of Wawel Combo, the team we fought in last match. You're an unbelievably good sports about this, and uh, we really respect you, both as players and as people, so thank you. I want to give a shout-out to about everybody in this whole tournament because everyone on our side – was very respectful through emails, you know, no trash talking. It was all it was all good sport. No nothing like Team Heroes pretty much. <laughs> so yeah, I'm I'm very thankful for that. I just want to thank you guys, Nintendo World Report, for hosting the tournament in the first place and allowing me to take part. Yes. And my teammates for informing me in the first place. Yeah. And, <laughs> and my mom cuz Mother's Day was on Sunday. Yeah. And what else? Uh, Hi, Mom. (laughs) Yeah, shout-outs to Icarus Gas. We're the best. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Honestly, once I knew that you guys were going on, because I I followed the the official thread, and I was just like, I think the Icarus Gas guys might be the 
might might be the team to beat. I think like I I thought it was going to be you guys in Triforce in the end. Yeah, I and then and then seeing whatever I would see your numbers come back when you'd send in like the results, I'd be like, holy crap! Look at how high <laughs> their point totals are. Like they aren't even dying. Yeah, I know. Like one game, I had a hundred points. Gospel had five hundred, and then Scrappy had like twenty seven hundred. <laughs> I, I remember that one. That one email you sent out, Neil. You just you sent us their pictures, and you were just like, "Look at this! They're amazing." <laughs> yeah, I was gonna I was gonna say like, I, I think I just I forwarded an email to the staff, just being like, "They are the team to beat." Oh wow! Awesome. <laughs> and and uh, I was correct in my assumption. Hey, oh, that's what we were going for with our games, you know. <laughs> Striking fear into our opponent's hearts. Yes. And, uh, can, I re- can I reach the stars above? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I, I hope uh, we'll, we'll be doing more with Kid Icarus Uprising in the future. I think we might be doing a game night sometime soon, so stay tuned for that. And maybe there will be something that will come up out of this league. I'd really be interested to see where that goes. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, congratulations to you three guys. I mean, you, you definitely Thank earned you. it, and you should be getting Thank your you. prizes of Kid Icarus Uprising T-shirt and a pack of AR cards and a, and a Perler Bead pit, uh, thanks to Nintendo of America and Street Pass Princeton. And we also, uh, you guys got copies of, or at least one person got a copy of Mutant Muds, thanks to Jules Watchem and Renegade Kid. We got some copies of Pyramids from Enjoyed Gaming and some copies of Penguin Patrol from... Crap. Uh, grab games, and the last game was '90s Pool, which I think was from Cinemax. Yeah, which, yeah, you're right. Yeah. So yeah, uh, it was a lot of fun, and I hope everybody who took part enjoyed it, and I hope that everyone who listened to this wants to join in the next one because that would be fun. Mm-hmm. Yes, it would. All right. Bye. See you guys. Bye. Peace. Alex Kulafi here, and I am with Guillaume. Hello. Hi, Guillaume. How are you? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. This is my first uh, appearance on the uh, Nintendo World Report podcast as officially a staff member. So it's pretty exciting. And also, yeah, and of course, like, this is an, uh, an episode that I'm not going to have to uh, edit myself, so I'm going to try to enjoy that as much as I can. All right. So um, I found out in a conversation between staff members that I'm a weirdo because I do not like Kirby. <laughs> so I decided to uh, to take this segment and sort of talk about why I don't like Kirby and take our newest staffer's opinion on why he does, why I'm wrong, and how I can make myself love the series as much as him. So, I guess the reason why I don't like Kirby is because, unlike a lot of Nintendo series, I didn't really grow up with Kirby. Kirby was one of those series that uh, I sort of picked up later. And, I guess, without the nostalgia, I had to start looking at it as a game series, objectively as a game series. Which I guess I really should be doing. 
But the first game I ended up playing in the series was one that was sort of weird for the Kirby franchise, and that was Kirby's Epic Yarn. Mm. And uh, what'd you think of that? I actually haven't played it. All right, we're off to a great start. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe that's why I like the series uh, so much, you know. But that was given a perfect score on our side, I believe. And after that, I played Kirby's Return to Dreamland, which we'll talk about in a bit. I played mm-hmm. the ones on Game Boy, and I played Kirby Nightmare in Dreamland. And after playing all those games, the conclusion I came to ultimately was that I just did not like the series. My problems with it were that I felt the platforming was really slow. I felt that the platforming and the gameplay mechanics, other than the uh, the plethora of power-ups, was fairly generic, and kind of reminded me of like a uh, an old Game Boy platformer, where, okay, there's a cartoon character here, he jumps, you collect things, you have a couple power-ups, and then you get to the end of the level. No Nintendo, no Mario Magic to it. And that was generally it. Like, I played Mass Attack, I played Canvas Curse, I played all the ones I mentioned before, Mm. and I just could not wrap my head around how people could like this series as much as they did. Now, Guillaume, why am I wrong? (laughs) Well, I don't think necessarily that you're wrong. I mean, we all like what we like, right? But, um, all right. So I'm going to be like, I, I, I haven't, I haven't grown up with the series either. You know, like I discovered it pretty late and I think my first one was Kirby Superstar. And, uh, I played that with a friend co-op and that was an awesome experience. Uh, basically just the, the plethora of powers that you had and like each power had different effects and different moves. Um, and, and just, you know, like, co-op makes pretty much every game better. So, uh, I had a great time, I remember. And, uh, so that left me with, you know, a pretty good opinion of the series. Uh, but I still, you know, I, I didn't touch it after that for a long time. Um, and when I revisited it, the game, afterwards, uh, when it came out in Virtual Console, actually, uh, I thought that the game wasn't that strong anymore. I thought that there was perhaps something missing, like a lot of the early games, uh, because, you know, that game is separated in, separated in several little games. Uh, a lot of the early ones aren't that much fun. They're a little bit too easy, and uh, that was a bit of a disappointment. Um, but, you know, since then, I've played the uh, uh, Kirby's Adventure on the NES, uh, which is a nice little platformer. I mean, like, do you generally dislike games that allow you to take it easy, or um, like, or do you live for the challenge? Well, I'm okay with easy platformers. Like, a game like New Super Mario Bros., I think we can all agree, is pretty damn easy. But I still loved it, because it still had that Nintendo magic in it. However, a game like Kirby's Epic Yarn... I did not like, because it felt way too easy, and actually that was the same thing with the uh, Game Boy ones too, I don't like it too easy, I'm okay with easy, as long as it stays interesting, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure, uh, well, if you dislike easy games in general, then, you know, like probably the Kirby games aren't for you. One thing that makes me kind of mad is that 
they can be hard, you know, like there is a way, like, the, and the designers know how to make a Kirby game hard, like they definitely do, definitely do, because uh, if you play the game um, Kirby's Dream Land on the Game Boy, uh, which is available on the eShop, uh, you know, like you go through the game, it takes you an hour, and it's super easy, super, well, you know, not boring, but definitely like you're going through the motions, and there's not really anything for you to do there. You you go from left to right, and uh, eventually you're going to reach the end. You know, it's uh, it's very, very easy and uh, not that interesting. But then if you play the hard mode, all of a sudden, like, the enemy patterns change, and they just, like, rush at you. Like, it's not just that you have less health to deal with. Like, the, the enemy patterns will seek you out, and, you know, like, one of the things that make the Kirby games a little bit uninteresting to, say, Johnny Metz, like, one of his regular complaints on the podcast is that uh, you can just float over any pit. So what's the point, right? That can barely be called a platformer if you can just float away. Um, but, well, in Kirby's Dreamland, uh, in the hard mode, like, the enemies will attack you while you're in the air. And they will attack you while you're puffed up and floating over a pit. And the only way to get out of that is to be very, very careful to attack them before they can attack you. But most of the time, you'll already be over a bottomless pit. So, you know, like, you, you'll blow a puff of, uh, a puff of air, uh, sorry, a puff of air at them, and you'll fall to your death. And, you know, like, clever stuff like that. It's, so the designers know how to make the game hard, they just don't do it. Or they, they luck it away. And, uh, that, that's a shame, I think. Oh, so, um, with Kirby's Dreamland. So, mm-hmm. it sounds like they actually put forth more of an effort to, um, to sort of make it feel like a real hard mode and not just enemies do more damage, uh, there's more of them, and you can die faster. Which is good, but it makes me ask the question, why don't they just make both available from the start? Yeah, no, I agree completely. And that, that's one of my main beefs with uh, the Kirby series in general. And you say you've played Return to Dreamland. Well, have you played the hard mode? I did not play the hard mode. Okay, because it's a little bit the same kind of deal... And uh, the the game makes much more sense. Actually, like, you know what? Like, you, you say that they put more thought into the hard mode and everything. I actually think that the game is the games are probably designed first with the hard mode in mind, and then they create the easy mode by dialing everything down and by taking away enemies and by making them less aggressive. And I don't know why they would do that, but it, it's really a shame because once you reach the hard mode, all of a sudden, like, everything clicks, and you, you feel like you're actually playing a game worth playing. So you're saying that, like, my issue might not be with the games itself. Maybe I don't have the wrong perception necessarily. But my issue is that I'm just not playing the right game mode. Mm. Yeah, well, yeah, sure. And, um, like, one of my recommendations for Return to Dreamland would be to you know, go through the main game with uh, friends who don't necessarily play games very much. That way, you know, like, they can have fun and, you know, they help you get through that mode, the easy mode, pretty quickly and, you know, you can still have fun. And then, like, save the hard mode for yourself and uh, have a decent challenge. Right. So, like, and it's kind of one of those things where where you're talking about uh, Kirby Superstar, a lot of the fun probably came from playing the game with friends. Like, it adds that uh, mm. that sort of Smash Bros. togetherness. 
Yeah, I, I would say so. And I, I've tried playing it by myself, and it's just not the same, right. to be honest. Uh, but yeah, like in general, like the series, like you have to be careful because I think two different teams at HAL uh, made those games, and one is definitely better than the others. Th- than the other, um, at least in my opinion. Like you, you complain about the platformer being a little bit slow. Well, I think one of the teams usually makes games <laughs> slower than the other one. Right. Uh, Kirby's Dreamland 3 and the SNES and uh, the N64 game as well. I think were both made by that team. And they are slow as molasses, and it's just not fun to play. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah, they, they've got some cool ideas. I mean, like, the N64 game has the whole combining powers thing, which can be fun to experiment with. And the uh, Kirby's Dreamland 3 has some pretty devious puzzles that can be hard to figure out, but the game is just so slow that I lose interest pretty quickly. Uh, Superstar is much better. Uh, Kirby's Adventure is fun, although, you know, pretty simplistic. It's one of the, like, it's only the second game in the series and the first one where he started having powers, stealing powers from his enemies. Um, but in my opinion, like, Return to Dreamland, uh, if you don't like that one, you're probably not gonna like a Kirby game. Like, in my opinion, so far, it's the best in the series. Actually, I was about to say that I, kind of agree with you, because even though I didn't love the easy mode on Kirby's Return to Dreamland, and admittedly I was kind of rushed because I got it from Gamefly, and I thought I could beat it in a couple days, because that's how, like, the other Kirby games I rented were, but the thing I loved about uh, Kirby's Dreamland is that even on easy mode, it did have a lot of things to sort of make it feel not slow and kind of challenging, like mm-hmm. with uh, all the booms that were in it, and also... Once you got into, like, the uh, the last world, some of those levels are kind of tough, even on easy mode. Like, that final boss, I was stuck on. <laughs> I was stuck on him for, like, a good hour or so. Yeah. No, seriously, like, they can really surprise you towards the end there. And uh, it's really a shame that the first five worlds or so are just really kind of mundane and not that interesting. At least, like, there's some cool music to to listen to while you go through the motions. But, uh, yeah, once you start hard mode, even the first levels are starting to get a lot more challenging. And the bosses, especially. Uh, You can't just throw yourself at them and still win. Like, you really have to watch the patterns. You have to understand how your powers work. You have to understand how Kirby moves. And uh, otherwise, you're not going to get out of the way fast enough. And you're going to die over and over again. So it can be a lot of fun. And I tend to approach Kirby games in general more like action games than platformers. Because, yeah, because of what we've said before. Like, he can just float over pits in general. So it's really about the powers and about taking out enemies before they take you out. Definitely. Um, now, before we close, just one more, just one more question. What Kirby games do you think I should play outside of this? Like, outside of the ones I mentioned, the Mass Attack, the Canvas Curse, the Return to Dreamland, and the Game Boy ones. Oh, boy. Um, well, it really depends. Like, there's so much variety. Like, we, we haven't really talked about the side games that much, except for Mass Attack, which I actually liked. And I'm I'm not sure what your beef with, with that game was, but uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, there's, uh, you know, like, puzzle games. There's... Uh, a, a uh, kind of mini-golf type of game on the SNES. Have you played the uh, Kirby's Dream Course? I have not. 
it can be really, really challenging to try to get the best medals in that game, uh, to, to try to get, like, holes in one. And um, I don't know, like, it can be divisive. I think that on IGN, they, back in the day when they reviewed VC games, um, they had, I think, what's his name? Damn it. Like, there was Craig Harris who had, like, his second opinion, I think. Like, he said, like, oh, this game is much better than the... Uh, what's the other guy's name? I wish I could help I'm you. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, the 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 goatee wearing guy. Anyway, like he was, uh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> like one of them didn't like the game, and one of them liked it more. And so it can be a divisive game, but it's definitely challenging, and it can be a lot of fun if you can wrap your head around it. Um, it's very very complex. Like you can all the 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 different variables that enter into play in there. Like, you, you can trigger powers at pretty much any time. You have to know how to use them and when to trigger them. You can uh, put effects on your shots. Um, it's it's really, really well done, in my opinion. Um, but, yeah, like, I don't know. Like, there, there's no point in you trying each and every game in the series. I think stick with Return to Dreamland, perhaps, like, give it, give it another rental. Try the hard mode, see if you like it. Sounds really good. Um, actually, yeah, I might actually do that. You know what? I will give it another rent. That actually kind of opened my eyes a bit. I never knew that there was this entire side to Kirby that, like, I, I've never played before. That I've just been looking at the entire series wrong. Mm. Well, not all of the games actually have a hard mode. I don't think that Superstar has one. Um, the hard mode and the NES game, in my opinion, is not that interesting, but in, you know, the first Game Boy game, Dreamland, and, uh, the one in Return to Dreamland are pretty good, in my opinion. Oh, okay. I think I got some work to do. Thank you very much, Guillaume. Hey, not a problem. And, that's it. See you, everybody. See ya. first installment of N-Focus. I am Nicholas Bray, and this segment is where I'll be taking a closer look at various aspects of Nintendo, or related companies and people. Currently, I do not have a set schedule, so for now, we'll just see how it goes. This week, I will be talking about Koji Kondo, both the man and the wonderful music he has produced for Nintendo over the last 30 or so years.
Koichi Kondo was born in Osaka, Japan, August 13, 1960. He began to learn and play music at the age of five, utilizing an electronic keyboard. When beginning his university education, he attended the Osaka University of Arts in the art planning department and had the goal of becoming some kind of producer or director of artistic works. Koji was never classically trained. However, he gained experience by composing and arranging pieces using both a piano and a computer to assist him. Graduating from university in 1984, he came across an ad to apply for a position at Nintendo on his university's placement board. Nintendo was looking for people who were dedicated to composition and sound programming, interested in making synthesizers, and already having a love of arcade video games. He thought that this was a good fit for him. Koji Kondo was the first person to be hired by Nintendo for the purpose of creating compositions. The first games he worked on were the arcade games Versus Golf and Punch Out. However, he did not create much music for the games, he was able to overcome the challenges of the sound design. After completing his first couple of jobs, he was assigned to compose music for the Famicom at Nintendo's new development team, Nintendo Entertainment Analysis and Development, which is better known today as EAD. One of the first things he did was writing an instruction manual on how to program Japanese popular music into the Famicom system using the peripheral Family Basic. Family Basic was a programming language that the Famicom used. Its cartridge came with a computer styled keyboard and required a tape recorder to save games that were created onto it. To finish up his first year at Nintendo, Koji Kondo created the music to the Shigeru Miyamoto game Devil World. Alongside another Nintendo employee, Akito Nakashuka. The next major projects that he moved on to after Devil World were Super Mario Brothers and The Legend of Zelda.
For Super Mario Brothers, Koji Kondo composed six pieces of music for the game. His main goal was to create something that had never been heard in video games. His first completed theme for the game was the underwater theme, which he has described as being the easiest to imagine. The above ground theme was the hardest piece to get just right though, and went through numerous rewrites. One of the goals of this piece was that it had to enhance the gameplay and make it more enjoyable. After completing a version of the song, he would put it into the game and see how the game and music played together. The music for the first Legend of Zelda also had a similar goal of trying to enhance the atmosphere of the various locations in the game. Koji Kondo has described the sound of Mario to be in a style which is closer to popular music, whereas The Legend of Zelda is the kind of music that you have not heard before and incorporates many different styles to try and give it a different feel. After The Legend of Zelda, he composed music for two Japan-only titles, Nazu no Murasam Jo and Shin Onegashima, after which he went on to compose the music for Doki Doki Panic, which was later rebranded as Super Mario Bros. 2 outside of Japan. Koji Kondo went on to work on Super Mario Bros. 3 and Super Mario World, along with programming the sound for Pilot Wings, creating the effects of Star Fox, and composing the soundtrack for Yoshi's Island. Up until the N64 era, Koji Kondo would most likely be responsible for all compositions in a game. This ended, however, with The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. After Ocarina of Time, he slowly moved further away from composition and into more of a producer role, overseeing music created by other AAD staff and supervising the various musical staff. He still contributes his own compositions though, notable games being Super Mario Galaxy, Zelda Spirit Tracks, and Skyward Sword.
This brings us to the end of this first edition of End Focus. I hope that it was enjoyable hearing about the great Koji Kondo and hearing various music that he has worked on. I hope to bring another edition of this segment to you again soon, but for now, this is goodbye. Thank you. Alright, and that'll do it for this week's episode of Connectivity. As always, you can send us listener mail to connectivity at nintendoworldreport.com. If you get a chance to rate and review us on iTunes, that would be great. And uh, you should follow all of us on Twitter. You go to nintendoworldreport.com, you'll see the Twitter sidebar. You can click there and find all of our user information. And uh, now, if you'd like, please stick around for a uh, bonus segment about Mass Effect 3. We'll see you next week. Welcome to the special bonus segment of NWR Connectivity. I am Nintendo World Report Previews and Reviews Editor Nate Andrews. Today I am joined by Scott Spaceman Thompson. Hello! And our mutual friend Sage uh, Starchild Knox. I don't have a title, I'm just a guy. <laughs> mutual friends. Yep. Uh-huh. And today we're going to talk about uh, Mass Effect 3. Which is, I guess, the worst game ever. Is that the consensus that we all reached? 
that the internet reached. It's funny because like playing through it, I didn't feel that way. But then immediately once I finished and then logged onto the internet, I was like, you know what? That game was a piece of shit. <laughs> oh, this was awful. Yeah, yeah, it was terrible. Um, is, is so, this the part where I jump in and get my opinion too? <laughs> yeah. Did you hate okay. it? Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. No. Uh, pretty much the well, whole you're, time. You're wrong. Then. Yeah. Exactly. Um, heaven forbid that someone has an other opinion. But um, no, I yeah, I I enjoyed it for the most part, and then sort of in hindsight, I kind of soured on it. It was it was a weird experience, but we I guess we can get into that a little bit later. Yeah, I I kind of feel the same way. Um, but before we do that, I think I kind of want to gauge everybody's Mass Effect history. Um, so one of the biggest things of the series, one of the biggest draws, is that uh, starting with the second game, you can bring over your Shepard, your custom hero, maybe if you did that, um, and carry over those choices, which I did. Um, I don't know. Have you guys done that? Uh, yes. Yeah, I, I did. I, okay. I, I played... So, Scott, you're on you're on PC, aren't you? Yes, I played every single one on PC. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I played uh, the first one on PC, but then I bought it again on Xbox to go through uh, when 2 came out, and I never made any changes to Shepard, so I guess... Look, I'm looking back on that, that's kind of a mistake on my part, because it has no personality, my shepherd. So you just have, like, the default one? Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, he's, he's the default guy. Oh, well, he's supposed to look the best, isn't he? Like, he's the most, like, I, I, full Yeah, detail, but, it's, but it's, like, a different kind of connection, you know? Yeah. It's not, it's not me that I'm playing as. Now, the first time when you played on PC, you customized them, but then the second time you just couldn't be bothered because you just wanted to get through it? I think I might have. Nothing uh, extensive. Okay. Because it probably looked like crap, but yeah. Mm. That's funny. I never... Also, the PC version is, I didn't think was that great, but... <laughs> oh, really? See, I, I preferred it to the, the original. Well, I, I don't, I'm sure the other two, two and three, are a little bit more even, like there's some parody, but the first one on, on the original Xbox, or on Xbox 360 was so bad, like just awful like loading times yeah. and just... Um... Well, yeah, the first game is... Regardless of where you played, I think it's kind of rough. But <laughs> yeah. my PC was also not <laughs> probably uh, the best. Oh, okay. Suited for that, so that might have had something to do with it. Yeah, probably. So Sage, did you did you bring a character through? Um, yeah, actually, um, I'm I'm the hardest of the hardcore as far as this uh, this uh, little podcast thing goes because I played through um, the original when it first came out on Xbox, and then when it came out on PC, I played it on that. But I took the polar opposite choices of what I did, just because I wanted to have like a morbid curiosity is where you know where all the extremes were. So then, when the mm-hmm. second one came out, I decided, oh, I'll just play, um, I'll play the PC version first because this is the one that I played most recently and I remember it better. So I'll just do that, and then when it's cheap on Xbox, I'll play it on that again. And I did. For this wow. one, so far, I've only played the 360 version, which is my renegade character. So, I don't know right. why I just, I just assumed that you you did good the first time and bad the second time, but so you you did renegade the first time and you like you liked that yeah. better. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'm not sure if it was uh, it was like five six years ago now that the first one came out, but uh, yeah, five years ago almost. Yeah. Um, because I yeah I remember playing that and sort of noticing that I was kind of drifting towards the renegade side to begin with. So I mm-hmm. I think like halfway through the game I just decided. Hey, I'm gonna play this again probably. So I just want to see what the 
you know, what what everything turns out to be like. So right, yeah. Like I guess in, in a way that and and like and in the first game, it's it's kind of hard to gauge that because even the stuff that you're doing doesn't have that much of a repercussion that early. Right. Yeah. It's, I, it's only once you reach like this game that things have snowballed so far that you know one decision that you made to kill or maybe not kill somebody has turned into um you know a a turning point in this gigantic space battle. Yeah, well that that was sort of the that was sort of the promise, wasn't it? Um yeah. Yeah, so I, I guess that's why maybe I I took it that direction, tried to go from one extreme to the other as far as my two playthroughs went. Um and I I think that that is one thing I wanted to bring up is I think that kind of limited my personal attachment to Shepard in a way because I wasn't like playing him as if it was like a avatar for myself and what you're just you kind know, of using him to go to go like back and forth. Right, yeah, he was sort of a vehicle to kind of explore the um the avenues the game would allow me, I guess. Um which, you know, I I thought was cool because I could see kind of not necessarily how the sausage was made, but I kind of wanted to see like where all these little threads would take me and just kind of see how well the game would keep up with them, you know? Because they they did have the promise of, oh yeah, all your decisions are going to matter in the next two games or whatever. So I was like, well, I want to see just how far these extremes can can go, I guess. So I was constantly, you know, in uh, the case of 2 and 3, just like uh, presuming that I was just going to pick the Renegade option. So I was just mashing, mashing left trigger, basically. You know, <laughs> yeah. Aiming for that... Uh, dialogue option the entire time, which, you know, yeah. it, it carried me through the dialogue pretty quickly, but I, I do think I probably missed out on a little bit of that emotional attachment that everyone seems to enjoy from that. Yeah, I kind of did the same thing where um, after I played 2 for the first time, I went back, I think it was probably on Insanity, uh, to get whatever achievement there was for that, and I ended up taking a way, a completely different path, and... So that's splintered off in that game, and then I'll probably bring each character into three and kind of mess around with the choices there to see just how crazy and, like, diverted I can get that path. Yeah, I, I think I think I'll eventually do that. My first playthrough, I mean, I made the choices I wanted to, but, of course, they were all, like, yeah. Paragon. Like, I, you know, I didn't, I'd never really do Renegade in, in any game, uh, you know, that's got that dichotomy like this. Um, so I'm excited to go back through and do all the Renegade stuff. But, um, Sage, you mentioned, like, how, um, even you, Nate, that, like, choices you made with characters in the first game would come back to sort of reappear in the third game. And except for, like, the major characters, any time that happened, because I've only played each game once, and then I kind of forget about it for three years till the next one comes out, someone would pop up and be like, oh, I remember you from this. And I'm like, I don't know you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Like, I, I guess if, if I saved you or killed your brother or spurned you in some way, I'm sorry, yeah. but I do not yeah. recall. <laughs> it's it's like it's kind of like the equivalent of, like, running into, like, a, a, an old high school acquaintance when you're just blasted drunk in a bar or something, <laughs> and they just roll up on you and it's like, hey, man, you remember me? I'm just like, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, What's yeah. up? And then just leave as quickly as possible. Yeah, I mean, that was that was sort of a jarring thing. Um, in the second game and the third game, both is just like having these random people come up and be like, "Hey, remember that thing you did for me ten years ago? <laughs> yeah, thanks for that." Yeah, except so, in your okay, in your scenario on. with the uh, the old high school friend at a bar or acquaintance uh, in Mass Effect, it ends with that acquaintance like having you travel to some different planet to go find some <laughs> relic. <laughs> Yeah, they yeah. give you a chore. Yeah, that's like if, 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 <laughs> yeah, that. if your guy found you, but then you you promised to come over tomorrow and help him clean his pool. It's like, yeah. what? Hey, why did I do that? I don't even really know you. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then was there... I, 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 just real quick I, with that same experience, then I feel like I always have to relearn the just lore of Mass Effect every time I start the game again. Like even just like race names and and yeah, and the yeah. whole history between them. Like it, it's I have to relearn it every time. And I guess credit to them. I mean, it does sort of come organically through playing the game. I mean, you could always yeah. like just read the the codex, you know, and like learn everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does come pretty naturally just through dialogue and stuff. So that you know, kudos to them yeah. for that. Yeah, that's that's one of the one of the things I like most about that um, Mass Effect in particular as an RPG that I value over you know most other ones is I'm playing through Skyrim again right now and I feel like I really should have a book with me to just <laughs> teach me and remind me all these things that are going on and then I realized I had an iPad and there's a Wikipedia page so I've just been doing that like I'm literally sitting there with a computer playing the game, and I did never even cross my mind in Mass Effect, and I like that a lot more, I guess. Right. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, uh, was there anything, um, anything specifically in 3 that was tied to uh, past events in the other games that you felt didn't pan out the way that maybe it should, or didn't culminate in some satisfying conclusion? Hmm. Not not for me, but like I said, I, I think because there was so much time between that if there was something kind of minute or, or smaller that I was expecting to pop up, I probably forgot about it. Now, when I, when I do play through again and like kind of play them straight through, which I might do this summer while I'm not in school, um, then I'm sure more will come to mind. But for me, not really. I thought it kind of hit the, the major points. Um, playing through 3, it became apparent quickly that for the most part, um, it was going to be like revisiting old friends and then watching them die. <laughs> you know, for yeah, the right. most part, some characters obviously and join you, but a lot of it was just like saying goodbye to all your favorite characters. Yeah. I think that's probably the best part of the game, at least from my perspective, is the way that everybody that, I guess, is alive in your universe kind of gets roped back into the story, and they all, um, they all start... Uh, you know, connecting with one another again mm-hmm. and getting those ties back together and everybody's so already so familiar with each other and like everybody's on the uh the Normandy, everybody's joking and they kind of had have this dynamic with each other that's yeah you can tell is is built up over the course of uh the other games. Right. Right. Um yeah, I don't know as far as like the do you guys remember right as like the game's about to end and you're on Earth and um, kind of walking around and kind of saying goodbye yeah. to everybody in the building. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I like the idea of that, but in the context of the game, like, the world is exploding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's no sense of urgency with that, because you can literally walk around and just chat up all these people for hours. Right. And, and that's something that they, they do, they already did, at least to a certain extent, um, previously in the game. Like, when you get people on your ship, or even when you meet them on a planet... Right. There's bits of dialogue that will do that, yeah. And it's it's not some formal thing that they, I don't think they really needed to do that. Yeah, I don't think the they did either. I think that um, somebody late in the game was probably like, uh, "Hey guys, uh, <laughs> we might need to just roll up everything, you know, again and do one last sign off, like lost style almost, you know, put everybody in a room together." Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I think it really worked against them in that sense because I like my, my first reaction when I was running through there is like why has my guys gone out why am I not just like running full bore to the mm-hmm. you know the, the the thing and try to finish this thing out but yeah all of a sudden we're like stuck no yeah dialogue yeah you have to you have to stop and like <laughs> ring up everybody <laughs> yeah. across the universe I'm about to finish yeah 
Yeah. Might it, never see you again. Just just letting you know. Right. And yeah, and not even just the people who are there on the planet, but the fact that you can even use like the <laughs> telecommunications device yeah. and like like yeah, l- I, literally like, call people. Oh man, I wish <laughs> I wish I could talk to Jack one more time. Yeah. It's like, hey, he said that if I ever died, he, that he wanted my stereo, so uh, <laughs> better let him know. Yeah, Bye. that was pretty great. And not not only does it like sort of slow down the urgency there, but I mean, if we're supposed to believe that the entire planet is under siege by these yeah. uh, this unstoppable force, how is there any safe zone where you can even? Yeah, step they're, this like up? they're like they're literally like looking out on the street as all these <laughs> things are happening. It's just like, what are you guys doing? Get away from the window at least. Come on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is terrible. Everyone's just standing there calmly. <laughs> So I I think that kind of ties into something that I noticed, which was the general tone of the game, uh, specifically compared to Mass Effect 2, which is like this wild cavalier ride, you know, mm-hmm. this this band of, like, rogues and scoundrels and everything. And Mass Effect 3 is like this, this you know, overburdened Return of the King kind of amassing the troops march towards doom. Right, you know? yeah. And it, there's, I think there's something lost in all that. Yeah, um, I think the like the finality of the second game worked a lot better because you are literally like, all right, guys, once we go through this door, everything's gonna get messed up really bad. And then for this one, it's like, okay, well, we just like this slow build up and to like the the final area that you've already seen before. It's like I, th- I think maybe that the like the unknown aspect of the second game. I mean, I guess you do kind of get a glimpse of the last relay in the second game, don't you? Before you go into the final jump, or is it uh, sort of a maybe mysterious object the whole time? But anyway, yeah, anyway. I, I feel like I feel like that was a lot more mysterious and you know ultimate because you didn't know what exactly was going to happen. I mean, obviously you had a inkling that there was going to be a third game and things would work out, but oh, of course, yeah, yeah. But like, still, you didn't know how many people you're going to lose. You didn't, you know, you had an attachment mm-hmm. to these characters that you didn't want. You didn't want to end. Yeah, that's what it was all about. So, and as a result, there was so much more consequence. Right, and this at one the end of that game. Yeah, it's just kind of like a slow build up to, like the same plateau almost. Like it just kind of stops. Yeah, and. And you have to shed everybody along the way, too. Right. Yeah. But but in the second one, at least, it felt like you had some amount of control on the outcome as far as who lived and who died. Now, some people will argue that, you know, that, that that's not oh, true, that there's a specific... I don't think yeah, so there, No, there's a specific... <laughs> right. If you want to look up, like, a, a table of the best teams exactly, to assemble, exactly. Right, which I might have done. <laughs> right. I, I, no, I, I, I didn't do that, and I only lost Jack, which is fine, because I didn't like I, Jack. I didn't do it the first time, but I, I wanted to make sure I got through the second time. Right. right. Yeah, I'm... I uh, yeah I, I wasn't I wasn't willing to go so far as being like oh I want to look at all this the table information of who to take so I could minimum you know minimize my casualties I was just like doing the gut reaction thing and putting everybody in their place but then all, also there was like just random events like one guy yeah would, there is some, some jump, cheap stuff and that one guy would get stabbed by a giant spear in the ship right <laughs> or, <laughs> or, or you know like your ship gets rocked by one explosion two people die yeah. Something so, like that. Well, that's why you got to go I, I and make sure you buy all the the ship, you know, upgrades. So that doesn't yeah, happen, that, that, <laughs> right? But see, that, I, I feel like it's a hard lesson to learn. Yeah, I guess so. Um, yeah, I don't know. I but but three felt like you had no real control leading up to the end. I mean, from the from the mm-hmm. beginning, I mean, it really feels like okay, like Shepard's preparing to head off and die, and then. I don't know about kind of, I don't yeah. know about you guys. I mean that that's the vibe I got right away, and then almost instantly mm-hmm. once people started finishing the game, like that was spoiled right away. I mean I didn't finish the game for probably mm-hmm. about a month after it came out, 
but like already like at probably about a week later i mean on twitter it was almost impossible to avoid you know like just yeah. people were kind of talking mm-hmm. about that and whether or not they told you the exact ending it was like everyone was very flippant and just talking about yeah. how Shepard dies. So it's just like, okay. So I kind of playing through the game knew what I was heading towards. Mm-hmm. Not that that mattered. It didn't damper what I enjoyed during the game, but as far as like ramping up, it, it just didn't feel quite like the second one where it was just like, you're preparing for this holy shit like moment. And the, the third one I felt like was dampened either just through the tone of the game throughout and seeming pretty mm-hmm. obvious or just, you know, the external noise from people on Twitter complaining. Yeah. I, th- I think maybe that, um, whole expectation of Shepard surviving in some way was lessened for me, just because I sort of knew a little bit of, like, the background of like, the development of the game and, you know, sort of knowing that the Bioware guys, whenever they talked about, like, the continuing character arc stuff, they kind of slapped themselves in the face for having to do that and pull all those strings <laughs> right. through three uh-huh. fucking games, yeah. you know? And then, um, so I, I sort of ha- I sort of went went in with the assumption that it was going to end, you know, that the only way that they could continue <laughs> would be to stop having this guy that carries through all these decisions and all these variables that mess up a mess up a game anyway. Well, yeah, I mean, so it has it has to reset at some point. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I I sort of I sort of assumed that was what was going to happen, and that sort of when when it did finally, it didn't bother me as much, I guess. But mm-hmm. I think if if you lived in a bubble. I could see someone being much more upset with that, but just yeah. because I'm somewhat literate into these things, I yeah sort of I I think it the problem that they run into is that it has to hit so many points that have you know been compounded over two games that it's just this gargantuan feat that's not gonna you know satisfy everyone right if you're if you're looking for something like that right. If um if we're gonna talk about the ending a little bit, which it seems like we're starting, I want to read this. Um, we don't have to talk about it explicitly. Okay, but... I I just want to read this quote. As soon as I heard people complaining about the ending, it, it kind of popped into my head. Um, this is a, a short story by Margaret Atwood, who is an awesome author. Um, it's called Happy Endings, and the whole the whole short story is just about uh, endings in general and kind of why they're useless. Um, and she wraps things up um, by saying. So much for endings. Beginnings are always more fun. True connoisseurs, however, are known to favor the stretch in between, since it's the hardest to do anything with. And I feel like that really applies to the game, because I think the ending of the game really soured a lot of people, and really soured Mass Effect 3 specifically. And when I think about playing all three games, and even just the third one, there were so many great moments, and I had a lot of fun playing the game. And even what they did carry over, like what I was able to choose to do with my character i mean there were so much variety and so many things and there's so many things i didn't even see in one playthrough that i get to go through and do again and like to let that all be like ruined and forsaken because of a so-so ending um it's just stupid to me <laughs> it just misses right. the whole point right yeah, i was i was yeah. considering uh going through uh every single game again but with uh, a customized character something that I could really connect to, you yeah. know? And the fact that I can do that and get this totally different story, presumably, is just great. Yeah, or at least very different moments, or, like, di- very different, like, yeah. short, little contained stories within the the larger story, which will remain pretty much the same. Yeah, I can I can change those relationships. I can, you know, do all sorts of Nate, stuff. Nate, what Nate's trying to say is he can bang different people on the Normandy. Yeah, that's right, you know, I can, <laughs> yeah. I can explore different, different options. Different... You different can bang anybody you want on this one. <laughs> yeah, different species. Free shot, man. What I'm trying to say is that I'm trying to get with Karis. <laughs> Gonna make it happen. I'm terrified. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. if that, that's that might be why I'm terrified of playing as a female shepherd is just because if I ever because I just love Gareth so much as like a mm-hmm. bro, but if 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 I were to carry on like a similar relationship with him, I I'm sure that he would eat my face, and that would be horrifying. <laughs> well, like wasn't um in the second game who who was the um. There was Samara, I think. She she was there, but then didn't she have like a, a daughter who was like evil? Yeah. yeah. I know. She pops yeah. up in the third game randomly. She does, yeah. Yeah, that was really disjointed. Yeah. Like all of a sudden just like, <laughs> yep. Like, oh okay, cool. But I I know <laughs> no, you're dead. I know in the second I know in the second game if you recruit her daughter and then um make it all the way through um she'll she'll try to sleep with Shepard at the very end of the game. And if you choose to do it, it kills Shepard. And um, and kill Shepard in the second one too. Or, or the second one, I mean. The, yeah, the second yeah. one is what I mean. Yeah, yeah, I didn't even know you could recruit her daughter. Yeah, in the second, in the second one, yeah. If if you choose to see, this is why I need to go back. Exactly, through. but yeah. So if you and then if you choose to give in, because her whole thing's you know how she kills men when she sleeps with them or whatever. But in the very end of the game, she's like, you know what? You've proven yourself. You're so strong. Like, there's no way sleeping with me is going to kill you. And then if you do it, it does kill you. And then like you get a failure condition and have to start back from yeah. your last save. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I saw that coming too, so I was like, I'm gonna save outside this door because <laughs> this is gonna be bad. <laughs> But I still want to try it. Right. Yeah. I, I just, I had to see what was going to happen. It was 50-50. It was going to go well or it wasn't. So. Yeah. I had to see. So, so my Mass Effect adventures are definitely not over. Yeah, there's much more to see. At, at all. You, you have so much more uh, deadly violent sex to have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You've only seen the tip of the iceberg. So that's another thing. Did you guys uh, mess around a lot, like switch back and forth between people? Um, I feel like in the third one you really couldn't, could you? Like, I feel like it kind of hard-locked you once you sort of made the choice of who you were going to be with. I don't know. I only, I stayed with Tally the entire time, so... See, I, I, I always wanted to seduce Tally. Don't I hate. always wanted to seduce Tally because she was my favorite, but I never, like, figured out how to do it, I guess. So I was never able well, to. The, see, the this payoff is for that is horrible, though. <laughs> see, this is what I don't understand, though, is is because everyone, like, has some weird, like, a, I don't, I don't want to accuse everyone don't. of being, like, weird, deviant <laughs> sexual thing, but just, like, I don't understand what's, what's attractive about this woman in a rug. <laughs> She's wearing a rug and, like, gas mask. Like, she could be a she bug a under there. She has personality save. She could be a bug under there. She could kill you with her tongue Dude, or I'm, something. Wait, even does she, does she only have, <laughs> she like, three fingers on each hand, too? So, yeah, you're right, Sage. Like, she probably uh, Yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, you, you gotta have a look wow, at Hey, forward. I'm not saying I wouldn't do it. I'm just saying I see Sage's point. <laughs> it's true. You know, there's there's a certain physicality aspect that is important. Yeah, you're xenophobic. <laughs> I am. It's all there is. I don't uh, sleep with bug women. I no st- bug people. If we're gonna go through, I stuck. I did Liara in the first one, and then I did um, what's her face? She works for um Cerberus in the second one. Oh, Kelly. Uh, Kelly Chambers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the uh, and then the third one I went back to Liara. Wait, 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 wait. What? Kelly Chambers? Not Kelly. Not yeah, no. Yeah, like this. No. The secretary. No, no, girl. not. Not her? No, her name's not Kelly. Miranda. That's who it is. Oh, oh okay, yeah, because yeah, I was going to say, Kelly bit it in the second game. <laughs> <laughs> she got wrapped up like a cocoon. Yeah, well, I think in my game I saved her. Yeah, you can save her. So, Sage, you let her die. I, I, I did. I didn't really mind. <laughs> what about you, Sage? Who, who did you... Who did you do? Uh, I... I I don't know, like, I felt like a weird nostalgia, like, coming back to the third one after so long. Because Rex wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't Rex. No, I shot Rex in the back of the head in the first one. Oh, man. See, that's a mistake. Yep. Well, it doesn't really matter, because it's, like, the same character on the other side, so whatever. Yep. Um, 
But no, like, uh, I, I kind of felt like a weird nostalgia coming back to the third one and, like, knowing that it was going to wrap up and stuff. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to use my original crew from Mass Effect 1, the one That's that what I did, with. too, actually. Yeah, so oh, I ran with I Garrus with... and uh, Liara, so. Yeah, I did that the entire game. Yep, that was pretty That's much it. weird, like, that, how comfortable that is. I, I kind of, yeah. I, I guess I did the same thing, because I did Liara and Tally, so. Right. Yeah, like, I, I, <laughs> I, I love, uh, when the game came out, um, our friend, uh, Dustin Stevens, who used to write for CFD, um, he he had a tweet where, uh, you know, he was quoting the game. It's like, hi, uh, Edie, this is James. And then he said immediately after, James, enjoy the rest of the game on the ship. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> That's all that says. Yeah. You're camping out here. Yeah, as soon as I saw James, I was like, I will never, ever yep. use you. Yeah, no, he... He got stuck in the, the cargo hold for life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he just didn't look interesting to me in any way possible. Oh, and I, I did want to ask you guys, how did you take the, um, <laughs> I guess, uh, birth of Edie, the embodiment of Edie? Why? They did that really early, Yeah, didn't what, they? Why, what was, did you think of that? I was okay with it. I don't know. I, mean, it was, it I, was, I guess it's fine. Yeah, yeah, I mean, she kind of made an interesting character, and like her, you know, slowly... Wanting to become yeah. human, um, it definitely helped the dynamic between her and Joker. Yeah, because not, I don't not think so at to, all. to reach like a, an actual human, you know, point of interaction. Right, he didn't have to she, put his he didn't, he didn't have to put his dick in one of those like terminals that R two D two uses to like make things well, happen. Yeah, <laughs> you know, he he can't have sex anyway because he's just he's a bag of, he's a bag of glass bones. Like he'll just yeah, he, he has no he has no hope. Guys. <laughs> he's very he doesn't very fragile. Yeah, he'll like for her to have physical form, them to go through with that. It would just, it would just disappoint him even further, you know, because he he wouldn't be able to actually do it. That's true. So I'm I'm thinking keeping her as like a figment of his imagination would have been <laughs> better for his psyche in the end. So the I, game is all about Joker. He really thought this out. I did. I've been I've been pondering it. <laughs> this is the most I've thought about Mass Effect in like two months. Stage Stage wrote a thesis paper on Joker's relationship with Evie. Um, yeah, so I, I, will, got me. I will say though that I, I liked three, but two to me is still the best. And if for I if for agree. nothing else, then the moment in two where you are Joker and you're going through the ship um, as it's okay. under attack, mm-hmm. just that whole that yeah. whole scene is awesome. And I like was kind of waiting for three to try to do something to like try to up um, that until I turn into the wrong hallway and have to start over. Well, sure, <laughs> yeah. sure. I mean, it, yeah. If you mess up, then it kind of ruins like the cinematic, yeah. you know. But no, yeah, the the but, first time that. That that happens is great. Yeah, and and I was like waiting for three, and I guess they had their like where the servers or the um citadel gets invaded, and you have to go, uh, you know, save it. That's uh, to me it was like their kind of attempt to sort of do that, you know, have you fight somewhere you didn't expect to be fighting, but uh, it it obviously it wasn't the same as that that moment in two. I thought that moment in three was the kid. The recurring vision of the kid. Oh well, sure. So if you like, want to remove uh, all the fun and <laughs> intrigue, yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I feel like that, that was, was kind of a little overdone. That was it was pretty obtuse. I, I think two or three of those instances could have been good, but instead of like after every major event, it's right. probably not necessary because it's not like the map changed a whole lot. You're just still in the forest. And you're just stumbling around. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. It's, like, it's I a forest it. of emotion, though. <laughs> yeah, you don't understand. It's the best kind of forest. Hey. I uh, I didn't mind it. I didn't take anything away from me, but it, it certainly didn't like, you know. Ever, after everyone, it didn't like leave me like, oh man, like what's the meaning of this? It's so deep, you know. It was just kind of like, okay, well, that was a waste of a minute and a half. But 
I guess if you let more characters die, it might be interesting, because eventually he starts hearing the voices of, like, dead crew members, which, for me, yeah, I only had, it's... it would only ever played Ashley, who I let die in the first one. Um, so it was just kind of like, okay, well, I didn't really... Wow, you you kept Caden alive? I hate Caden, he's boring as shit, but I, after Ashley started spouting, like, her, like, racist, like, like, ass-backwards uh-huh. religious, yeah. like, babble at me, I was like, yeah, I don't really care about you anymore. Yeah. Plus, plus, she was dressed as a Power Ranger in the first game, and that wasn't cool. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, so, yeah, I let her go, I didn't care. Yeah. Uh-huh. I ignored Kate in the rest of the game anyway. So it's <laughs> Me too. I was like, you're... he lived his he lived his shell of a life. Right. I was like, you're you're safe only because you're the like least <laughs> like the lesser of two evils in my mind. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, can you just kill them both? Can we just come on? <laughs> yeah, we have the both. Options. Let them both die. So We're running out of food on this ship. Yeah. So what do you guys think about uh, the announcement that Bioware made about their? I guess it's. Epilogue content yeah, that they're it, making. I think it's gutless I on guess every it, level. Yeah, you think so? Stick to your guns. That's what I thought. I mean, regardless, I mean, even when you beat the game, didn't the like text box pop up and be like, "Look forward to like DLC that'll expand on things like down the road." Um, Did it? I really think there was something like that. So I knew there'd be DLC that would kind of um, ad- maybe you you imagined that in your rage. Maybe. Well, I didn't care. The I thought the ending was fine. I, yeah, I could the I, only the only I frustration I could see is that no matter what choice you make. Like the Normandy ends up on the same planet, you know, and, yeah, and the same crew members, and it's just kind of like, well, you know, it should be a little different for each one. But I understand, like we said, they want to re- restart and start at one, you know, singular moment. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm not surprised. I knew there'd be some kind of DLC that would feature those other characters, but the fact that it seems like they're going to try to shoehorn in some like explanation or maybe some like even moments with Shepard that maybe weren't originally planned to be there is kind of so we're silly. So bring back the elusive man so we can explain some more stuff for the last 20 minutes of the game and we'll just push Dude, one I, of I just three other the buttons. Elusive man. I just want to hear the elusive man talk for like half an hour. Yeah. That's, I would pay for that. Anything that gets him in a blue suit and white hair is cool with me, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I thought it was kind of lame that they backtracked and kind of gave into the pressure, but... I guess we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, who knows? Maybe they're just gonna like dick over everyone again, and like it, the DLC will come out and it'll say like it, it adds like a, a single color to the end. It'll be like, oh yeah, Shepard yeah. died. <laughs> like that's it. Like that just they'll just flat just out show say him, it. Yeah, show him just laying a, on the ground a little bit more. Yeah, just a tombstone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this time there's no room for interpretation. They just tell you he you died. You get to you get to enter your initials at the end. Yeah. You got a high score. <laughs> yeah. What's what's the over under on a giant massive Shepard statue? Oh man, uh, I it's got to happen, right? <laughs> I I'd, I'd, I'm gonna say seventy percent. <laughs> do you think they put it though, like on the citadel? Yeah, on, yep, on the citadel. Well, probably both. Just, just every city. I think they're just gonna recarve Earth's surface into Shepard's face. I, was gonna say, I, I, I think they, they've already they've already got that like topography, right? Like it's already mapped in the game for your character. Just put it on the planet. I was gonna say, say work yeah, they'll uh, they'll reshape the citadel <laughs> to be in the shape of a giant shepherd, a giant floating shepherd. Just no, no, no. What they do is they put it on the moon, so Shepard becomes the man on the moon, and now everyone on Earth can look up and see him. So he never dies. So he and never then, dies. He's, then the, he's immortalized in the moon. The complainers get their wish. Yeah. So that's pretty good. The, the yeah. DLC is actually just. Uh, Four hours of mining missions. Oh yes, please. <laughs> and yeah, and, uh, and then also the re- return of the um, what was the thing called in the first one that you drove around on the planet surfaces? Mako. Oh, the, the Mako came back in uh, the second one yeah. though. There was a DLC pack in that, and that wasn't actually too bad. 
I kind of like the Mako. I, I, I kind of miss it. I liked it too. I I miss I miss driving uh, just over the surfaces of planets. It was pretty cool, and I didn't I didn't mind it whatsoever. Um, I I enjoyed it when it got really broken, especially in the Xbox One, and you'd like flip over flip it over and get totally stuck. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> all the time. Yeah, I like that they subtly just like completely removed any sort of exploration or mining component. <laughs> it went mm-hmm, from the first yeah. one where you could land like on planet surfaces and go look around for things. The second one you just yeah. like from space scanned and then sent down probes. And then the third one it's just like yeah, you don't scan for materials at all. It's like you just scan for like relics sometimes, and that's it. And there's only one relic on every yeah. planet. <laughs> But then you have to, like, you're doing fetch missions for every single person on the Citadel yeah. to get those those items back to them. And what I love, too, is that you didn't even have to talk to those people. You're just walking <laughs> yeah. by, and you yeah. over here, and you're like, you know what? I'm going to help that guy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the creepiest thing in the world. <laughs> yeah. Like, you just come up to a guy, like, hey, I heard you talking about that. <laughs> yeah, I right. got that for you. Or, if or, someone or, said or. that to you in real life, you'd call the police. <laughs> it doesn't matter if he's, like, if he's like the greatest hero in your century. No, that's that's creepy on every level. Yeah, right. Or those moments on the Citadel when, you, you know, like, you come by two people arguing. And you're like, hey, guys, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the like, galaxy I'm, is in danger. I'm let's, the judge. Let's be civil. Yeah. It's like, oh, shit. You're all boy scouts. Yeah, we were discussing yeah. important, like, decisions that will impact our family for generations. But this... this <laughs> he just walks in with no context. <laughs> yeah. Abort the, the baby. The, yeah, oh, okay, yeah, thanks. Like, this asshole walked up and offered his two cents. Let's listen to him. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was stupid. Yeah, that I agree. Really but I will say yeah. though, I find that with each iteration of Mass Effect, the Citadel gets a little bit more bearable. The first game, I hated it. Really, it was so big. The first game is probably oh, the worst. And like, I love the Citadel in the first game. By the third one, it's just like okay, there's five floors and there's like a little bit to do on each floor. That's it. <laughs> just get out yeah. to space and start shooting things because we know this isn't where you want to be. And I say, I say thank you. I found at a certain point, like, the parts of the Citadel are maybe a little bit too small. Like, yeah. Like, if you go to the bar and there's, like, two sections that you can walk around yeah. in, and then you just leave. Yeah, that's the thing I hate. It's, it's like, like an entire floor. Yeah. yeah, it's supposed to be, like, the center of, like, the busiest galactic hub in the world, you know, all this <laughs> yeah. stuff. And then, and like, the first thing like you can totally run around. people on the dance floor. Yeah, you, you get the sense that it's totally, you know, that it's a huge, important place. And, you know, of course, you got to go through 80 elevators to get anywhere. But at the same time, you know, in the in the second and third games, it's just like this isn't this doesn't seem that great. I mean, this is why is this the capital? That's like, true. Earth is way bigger. That's true. No, the I ship's bigger than this. I'm <laughs> <laughs> the government on my ship. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I, I guess I liked it because it just sped things up for me. But I do agree. Yeah, it's sort more of, it's sort of, it sort of hurts the scale of the game a little bit. I mean, it even got to the point where now when you dock, she's just like, "Do you just want us to like teleport you to the third floor? Yeah. <laughs> Like, why even bother? Just send a guy to go do your mission. Send me to you. the bar. Just do yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, Mass Effect 4, you'll just send yeah, like the intern out to go do everything and go talk to everyone and turn in those uh, relics that you like sneakily yeah. heard about and picked up. Why not? <laughs> just, yeah. You'll stay on the ship. Just do that. Mass Effect SimCity. Yeah, it'll be kind of like, well, what, I mean, was like the, the, uh, what was the the game? It was I think it's sort of like a Diablo clone where um like you have your dog, but you can send your dog to town to sell shit for you and then come Torchlight. back. Torchlight. Yeah, yeah. Torchlight. Yeah, it'll just yeah. be like that. Yeah, it's the greatest thing. Yeah, ever. you'll just send yeah, a dog. You can do that in uh, the Old Republic too. Okay. Like, so so I just send James to get like groceries or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Put low on milk. Hurry up. Yeah. Do something useful with those muscles and go get ten gallons of space milk. Oh, you got skim. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Kick him out of the airlock. Oh God! I wish. <laughs> so um, I think they balanced him. They balanced him out well with uh, what's his Cortez. Yeah, Cortez. The other guy that's down there, he was a really good. Kid. That's true. Yeah, they he put the worst cool. with the best. I guess so. At least you had that. Yeah, got that dichotomy. So, so Freddie Prince Jr. Uh, voicing a Latino guy. That's pretty good. Uh, 
So, Sage, I, I went back to check the other day just to make sure I wasn't crazy, but I still feel like the first game had the best music. No, you're probably... You're, yeah, you're definitely right on that one. Yeah. Um, I, I thought 3 was incredibly weak. Yeah, and it was Clint Mansell, too. That's a bummer. Yeah, that was... It was a disappointment after, uh, you know, the the original guy, Jack Wall, left. Yeah, I... I and then I, he came on, and I had some high hopes, but... I feel like we could have a whole other podcast discussion on uh, Hollywood composers coming in and messing up games. Yeah, like uh, Hans Zimmer what's his and name Modern on? Warfare 3 kind of came in and was like, oh, I'm Hans Zimmer. Here's, here's the same thing on loop that I've been doing for 10 years. Um, the composer for Dexter did Silent Hill Downpour. Oh, really? Yeah, I haven't listened to that yet, but hmm. I don't know. There's some potential there. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to play another Silent Hill game for a while, so... That's that's not another podcast discussion. <laughs> so Scott, anything else? Uh no, just kind of like I said about the ending. I mean, I think great games overall. The second was the best, but I am excited to go back through and get everything fresh in my head and just play straight and uh, yeah, make some different choices and see how things turn out. I, I think that's kind of the coolest part. Uh, just seeing like it just becomes sort of after you do it the first time and kind of play how you want, it, it kind of becomes a toy and you just see what you can mess up and what you can change mm-hmm. and. Just what different things you can do, and even though we are in the era of YouTube, where you could easily just probably enter your, uh, you know, choices into YouTube and find out what would have played out, um, there's still some fun to kind of. There's actually there's a website where you can craft. Uh, I think it's only PC, but you can craft a custom save. Oh, okay, yeah, see, so to go, to go through and like map whatever choices you want. Right, so, so that doesn't... gets in there real deep with the hex editor. <laughs> That's right. So yeah, that doesn't surprise me. But I, I think there's some kind of fun of going through and, and doing it yourself, and it really like lends itself to having conversations with people about the game, just because everyone's story is probably a little bit different. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's great, great games. I'm excited for the DLC that'll rewrite the ending. <laughs> I'm excited for Mass Effect Four. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, and Commander Shepard the second. See, uh-huh. it'll just it'll it'll revert back to the beginning of time, and Shepard will just be uh, merely uh, just a, merely a shepherd. Oh, some sheep. <laughs> you you play as the like the uh, the ancestor of Shepard, actually out in the fields. I, th- I think it's probably going to go two thousand one: A Space Odyssey on this. Like he'll start out oh, you think as, so? as an ape, yeah. and then get spoken to by the by the aliens through the monolith, and then mm. we'll flash back and forth through time. Like he'll be there for you know. Shepherd, shepherding and some some sheep around, you know, you gotta you gotta have that scene in there. You might be there for the you know Jesus that whole thing and then space. So he is What's he the... is the giant baby in two thousand one of space Odyssey. <laughs> That's what I'm getting at. Yeah. yeah. All right, I think that will do it for us. Um, if you guys don't have anything else, nope. What's the before we go? What's the what's the name of the admiral? He always says. Uh, Hack it. Hack it out. 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 Hack what out? Hack it out. Hack it out.